Adventure Presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, it's gonna be May. Yeah, May Lee. Today we are reviewing Disney Pixar's Turning Red, directed by Dome Shi. Uh, and being released on March 11th on Disney Plus Worldwide. Some theaters in certain countries if you don't have Disney Plus. Um, but it is, uh, what is this, the fourth Pixar movie? Third in a row that is going straight to Disney Plus? So Luca, Soul, Onward had a, 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 a limited yeah. theatrical release. But so that- this will be the third in a row. Fourth, if you include Onward, which went to Disney Plus pretty quickly after its theaters because it was shut down. Yeah. So, which is an interesting to talk, thing to talk about. Well, maybe at some time during this, we will talk about that. But um, and and what they plan on doing with Lightyear. Uh, but today we are reviewing Turning Red, um, which showcases Toronto in a Disney Pixar movie, which is pretty fantastic. I wore my. CBC isn't really featured, but it was like a very Canadian thing that I could be wearing for this review. Um, you got to get as much CanCon as you can into this episode so we are covered for the whole year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Eric, how are you? I'm good. I've been thinking a lot about this movie um, since watching it and just what it means for canadian audiences specifically those who live in ontario and live in toronto and to see toronto represented in a mainstream animated movie on this level and being one excited about it because spoiler alert it's a really good movie but also being a little disappointed that it is going to streaming because i think it would look so beautiful yeah on a big screen the same way that you know, I think a lot of people felt cheated that Soul was a movie that would have been just a, a wonderful experience With that score to watch. And, everything, yeah. and and this is very similar where you're 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 watching this movie and you know, talking to you after seeing the film, there are so many, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen moments where you see certain, you know, locations or the geography, which is so well detailed um, in terms of, you know, uh, Kensington Market and Chinatown and and Dundas and, you know, mm-hmm. the streetcars and, and, and TTC in general. And just like, you know, like you, you, you look at New York, you look at LA and you, you look at all these places that have been featured in so many films, whether they be live action or uh, animated. And, you know, you, you come, you become accustomed to it because it's so, they're so frequently used. Even when Toronto is, 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 you know, when a production shoots in Toronto, it's always standing in for another place, whether it be Detroit or New York or Chicago. And, you know, it's very rare that Toronto is Toronto and Domi Shi's bow, uh, the, the short animated film in which he won the Oscar for featured both San Francisco and Toronto in that as well. And also feels like this beautiful continuation of a story about coming of age, but also finding autonomy and being yourself. And this is specifically also focused on the, parent-child relationship and the child becoming a teenager. And 
hitting puberty. And that's another thing that we will be um, talking yeah. quite a bit about is that Pixar hits puberty. This is a literal period piece. It literally is. Yeah. Place in 2002, but it actually has the conversation of you know what the body goes through and During what puberty, you know yeah. ex- yes and for, for young, young girls yeah you know and, and becoming and becoming women and yeah the metaphor is there with you know this this plot of you know this history of of this family being cursed with you know coming of age and when they come of age they turn into a red panda and what you have to do in order to um reverse the curse or trap it within sort of a, a, a totem that is obviously a a, a, a metaphor for puberty and, yeah. and 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 figuring out what your body is doing and 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 feeling different urges and 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 going through something but on top of that it, it's still having a literal conversation that i think is a better starting point than some sex ed classes that absolutely you know, yeah. that we got when we were in middle school which you know the, the the her school is lester b pearson middle school as well which is again another you know real school in in toronto so um yeah watching this movie and 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 looking at it from the point of view of a mother-daughter dynamic you know you have um may who's voiced uh by Rosalie uh, Chang and Sandra Oh, who, uh, again, you know, when you think of, of great Canadian actors uh, is, is, you know, playing the mother, the, the matriarch of the family. And you're looking specifically at this Chinese Canadian family and sort of them, you know, taking care of this temple, but also, you know, trying to navigate what it's like to be a teenager or becoming a teenager. And then even the stakes with the plot, it's not about life or death or the world ending. It's about going to a, going to a concert, yeah. you know, town, and, and, baby. and also I think really finding a core group of friends yes. that you are truly, you can be yourself and you can also figure out who group, you're almost. becoming. Yeah. yeah. The people who, who pick you up and, and, and push you to, uh, get through these things. And yeah, I, I'm totally with you. This review will be heavily Toronto focused and Toronto people will be obnoxious about this movie in a good way. I think in the sense of like what Eric said is like, not since probably Scott Pilgrim, have we gotten a film on this level that showcases Toronto as Toronto. And um, that's going to be really cool for people in this area, like, and seeing it from such a major studio like Disney and Pixar, uh, that is showcasing this city in such an authentic way, authentically in the early 2000s, authentic to today. Like it, it's just such a wonderful, not only a love letter to this city, but um, such a wonderful coming of age kind of the Pixar way, which is what I tweeted, which is like, you know, they've tackled emotions, obviously, in um, Inside Inside Out. Is that what? Yeah, Inside Out. Yeah. Well, even tackled, Soul, right? And Soul, they've tackled all that kind of stuff before. But I think... Um, and something you brought up, Eric, and we've been talking about, it, it's such an individual look at, you know, becoming a young woman and going through puberty that like, and, and just discovering femininity and, and friendship and, and family. And, and I just thought it was such a wonderful look at all of that. And yeah, there are surprising things where you can't believe I'm like, oh, they're talking about her getting her period, which I don't even think you, you see really see. Tampons. Yeah, you which, see tampons. Yeah. Like, which it's a. 
unheard of in an animated movie, let alone just in movies about young women in general. That is just like, that was shocking in like the most, in the most wonderful way of just going like, holy shit. Okay. Like that is so great that they're talking about these things. And yes, the metaphor is, you know, uh, overt and, and it is, you know, about puberty and all those things. But I mean, I think it works in the context of this movie. It has that fantastical kind of fun thing that a Pixar movie usually has where, you know, it's true to life, but there's always an element that's kind of, um, interesting and, and, and as in a metaphor or something like that, where I think, you know, this is pretty obvious and in your face, but I think it's just such a wonderful way to kind of showcase that in a way that is for that thing we talk about during our soul review or any Pixar movie of that balance of being for people that are May's age, but also being for the adults, whether it's a relationship with the mother or just like just for everyone. And they're the best at doing this kind of thing. And especially when they get to be creative and do original things like this, that it's just it's that fine line of making this fun for kids. So you put a fuzzy, big, cute red panda that's causing havoc around the city of Toronto. So if you have very young kids, a lot of the puberty stuff's going to go over their head, but you still have a fuzzy a colorful movie that's just like a blast to watch the boy band music is great from four town and like it's which like, is done by uh billy eilish and, and phineas, phineas right yeah so and, and it's and, completely different from what they've done oh before. yeah but you can tell that they grew up with that kind of stuff right and like this feels so authentically like early 2000s that it's just like again we talked about the after party recently and that eric and i were about the same age as, as the people who are going to the high school reunion and that we were also about the same age as may is in like maybe a little bit older than her in the early 2000s but about the same no like it's like 2003 yeah. and she's 13 right so yeah um we were about the same age as may so like even as young men like i feel like there's still a lot to kind of see in growing up and seeing the city and you know we lived in the gta but you know you would come into toronto pretty frequently and i remember that being a big deal taking the go train into the city and like you know falling in love with this city when i was probably about May's age and, and roaming around, whether it's with my uncle Mark or my mom or my dad, when they would go to blue Jays games or at the sky dome, which is heavily featured in this movie. And um, just like seeing these, Rogers get a credit yeah, at the end is very just weird. bizarre. It's very weird. Right. And then like just seeing that sky dome logo and like the love put into that and the CN tower and the TTC, like all that kind of stuff is just so fantastic. And then on top of that, you just have this wonderful coming of age story that is simple, but because it breaks ground of talking about a lot of these things that you don't really get in animated movies or, or in coming of age movies, maybe some more adult ones that handle this kind of stuff, but not in, as mainstream. In, either. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, this is such a mainstream animated movie that the frankness in the discussion it, on top of the metaphor was so refreshing and really something that again, like it's, it needs to be talked about more because I feel like a movie like this will really help kids know that, you know, like everybody goes through this. You're not, you know, transforming into some sort of monster or weird thing. Like there's a body horror element to the storytelling as well, which is also very Cronenbergian, uh, yeah. which is also very Canadian. So um, yeah, it, it, it embraces so much about Canadian culture, but the human body, about what it means to become a teenager, what it means to be a young female, what it means to 
be interested in the opposite sex yeah. or the same sex and 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 this movie is unabashedly very horny at times yeah. in the sense of that you become infatuated by like somebody else and, yeah. and 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 you have and other these boys weird around yeah feelings inside that you can't really describe that are almost like primal um and and it's it's basically saying like these are all very normal things and you can you like the what? guy at the daisy mart and like it's like yeah. and that God. might be weird but like it's a normal thing <laughs> but it's also a very weird movie because yeah. like it's it's fun that the characters are so you know eccentric and individually kind of you know created you know the the, the group of her friends with miriam mm-hmm. and priya and and uh such Abby. a great like group yeah yeah and and i even love that the way that they kind of take this weird sort of approach to cultural appropriation and use it to their advantage as entrepreneurs and sort of make money off of you know hugging and touching and taking photos of the panda and and they use the money towards tickets for this concert coming up and like that's even really smart and interesting and how that's kind of portrayed and and again like it does get to some moments i think in that last act that are on par with a couple scenes in petite mama where you're watching the relationship between the mother and the daughter in this and how they come to relate to each other and understand each other in a way, because may is, is very much somebody that wants to, she's a people pleaser. She wants to make her parents happy. And that's another thing that it really does it go into specifically culturally speaking is that it looks at how, you know, kids in certain families always have to appease their their parents or mm-hmm. they feel that there's different traditions this... and different ways exactly being brought up yeah and i thought that was uh, being a you know she's a chinese canadian in this movie and i thought that like even that was handled in in like talking to i watched this with nevis and and you know her parents immigrating from from croatia obviously much different but you kind of it's those universal kind of things you see in this kind of stuff and i thought that was just wonderful and like even the generational difference about growing up and dealing with these things right like we won't go too much into it but like i think it tackles that in a really interesting way of how your grandparents interacted with your mother and how your mother interacts with you and how you will interact with your kids right and like you get a little bit more I don't want to use the word tolerant, but like it's, you get a little bit more accepting and understand because each generation goes through it in a very different way and then handles it in a very different way. And I think the movie tackles that, um, wonderfully as well. Like in that last act that you're talking about that, I think like that is, if you think the metaphor of the red panda is overt, like, or, or maybe a little too obvious or anything like that, like, uh, it's a kid's movie one. Uh, but I think as it goes along and you see how they develop that with the generations, like, I think that's actually a really interesting way of like using the red panda as that metaphor of puberty or, or, or the multitude of things in this movie, but how each generation deals with that, I think is like a really cool way of tackling that too. And yeah, all the Toronto Easter eggs, like I don't want to give them all away, but like some are obvious and you've seen in trailers like sky dome and things like that. But uh, the Daisy Mart is, is hilarious. And, and, you know, uh, they couldn't use the name much music because it seems like maybe Rogers giving them the sky dome thing. Maybe bell couldn't give them the rights to much music or something like that, but there's a nod to much music in there. Like there's so many little things for, if you, uh, are from the city and Eric mentioned like, it's so accurate with the actual like geography of things that like, even in something like what if, or the F word or 
Scott Pilgrim to an extent, enemy. which is like an enemy and like enemy yeah. does a pretty good job, but there are times where you're like, that doesn't make that sense. Queen street like, video yeah. is one thing. Right. Or, or like if you watch something like Christmas Chronicles and even though that's not supposed to be Toronto, it's shot here and is distracting if you're from here because you're like, wait a minute, those streets don't attach at all. Or that horrible <laughs> um, uh, uh, Denny Arcade movie, An Eye for Beauty, where they sure. start at Bay and Bloor and then all of a sudden like they're biking like the next shot they're they're already at the harbor front. Yeah. And, and stuff like that like, is stupid and only people who live here will notice that stuff. And like but this just does such a great job of like, yeah, like Eric already mentioned, like you see Ken Kensington market, which goes right into Chinatown. And then you kind of see the different areas of the city and, and they drop the TTC's name and you, the streetcars look so accurate. And like the people in the city in the background look super accurate. And it's just like, it, it's just so much fun. And then um, the four town stuff, like if you grew up in the early two thousands as well, like um, we mentioned, uh, you know, I think uh, Joey Noel, who was on a recent review, we did another Disney thing, uh, fresh, a very different Disney thing, <laughs> um, uh, very different uh, about a different time in your life when you're dating and, and, and things like that. Um, Joey joined me for the fresh review. Go check that out. But um, she mentioned the four town and then it brought up and Eric and I were talking too of that. It seems like it's a combination of uh, O town and um, B four four. Um, right? Is that what B44? Yes, yeah. yeah. So and, and both of those bands have songs that are sexual innuendos yeah. songs. So um uh basically before four has if you get down on me, I'll get down on you. <laughs> yeah. And then uh Liquid Dreams. <laughs> Liquid it's Dreams. Like, it's so yeah. funny. And like if you think about all the boy bands from back then, or even the Spice Girls, if you go in into that back then, like backstreet. Yeah. Back. Yeah. And like it, they were the horniest songs, right? That were always about things oh, yeah. that almost went way over our heads as kids. But like kids and, were and the ones adults that were looking at it as like this is like lewd. Yeah, you know? and then how? But we're singing it, not even really knowing what it's about. And I think they really capture that with uh, with Four Town. And like, it's not as lewd, obviously, as as some of those songs are not as like descriptive in the way that like they talk about their tummies and stuff in the song, which I think was really funny and like. Uh, I forget what the one lyric, but you guys can listen to it on on streaming. And um, but the but it's still very much very playing in the same and, yeah. ballpark as a lot of 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 these boy and girl bands of great the, jokes like about them too. Like it, there's some, and I keep making like, the joke that this w there would be like this weird version of putting the two together, but um, turning red and red rocket. But red rocket also kind of is an interesting connection with just how it uses the early two thousands in terms of the, not just the aesthetic, but as the main character's interior life and how that character in red rocket kind of grew up or not grew up, but was kind of most popular at that period of time and using the NSYNC song in that movie with bye, bye, bye. And then kind of advertising this with backstreet boys. And again, you know, mentioning O town and, and before four and, and all these sync. bands that, yeah, that came out at around the same time. And it was like the peak of that era of boy band music. Cause it almost, it almost seems to happen like at the end of every decade where like in, in the late eighties, you had uh, the new kids on the block and Menuno and things like that, that were really popular at that particular time in like 1987 to 1990 or 1991 and then grunge kind of came in and kind of swept that all under the rug with the, the hair metal bands and then about like 95 96 you started seeing 
the boy band resurgence come back again. And then into the early 2000s, you also had like, you know, the uh, sort of like the the hybrid rock metal stuff coming in and kind of trying to clear that out with like everything from, you know, Limbiscuit to Linkin Park and then even, you know, Eminem kind of, you know, making mm-hmm. kind of poking fun at a lot of these, these artists. Mm-hmm. And now there seems to kind of be a, a greater appreciation from the generation that grew up with it the same way that the generation that grew up with their favorite boy bands or what have you are now enjoying that more and maybe a less ironic way. And just as like, Oh, this music was more enjoyable than I thought it was. Yeah. It was, I was rocking some B four four and like, I've been listening to the frosted tips. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's awesome. Um, shout out to Tamagotchi's shout out to like, it just some of the tech and, and different things of that time period is just so it's nostalgic. And just like I said, this movie just felt like a warm hug. Cause it felt like, it still tackled some really important stuff that you just don't see in movies like this very often. And I just felt like it was just at a time like this and especially being from Toronto, which obviously will give this movie a little bit of a boost for people that are in this area. And then Eric, we can talk a little bit about what you said of feeling like this is the first time that not maybe the first time, but like an individual made a Pixar movie. You mentioned that, which I thought was an interesting point. Yeah, so I, I really do feel that like with Domi Shi and Julia uh, uh, Cho, who are uh, Domi Shi directed it and co-wrote it with uh, Julia Cho, like it kind of feels like it's more of a singular vision than a group of anime. Like obviously, it's still you know a very whole much a team, collaborative yeah. effort. But every I, I always remembered as a kid after Toy Story came out, there would always be these trailers for the next Pixar movie, especially when you got to films like Ratatouille and Wall-E, where it would be like, oh, you know, like Andrew Stanton and I or Brad Bird and I were in, you know, uh, a restaurant uh, 10 years ago talking about the initial concept of this. And this is how it kind of grew out of that, where with this, it almost feels like, you know, these two filmmakers, you know, Domi Shi is actually somebody that has been working at Pixar and, 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 you know, in, in storyboarding and, and animation and things like that. But it kind of feels like they brought this to the table instead of it being developed on the table. And I also think like, obviously a part of it will be the sort of, um, mixing of the anime style that's also in here there's a lot of stuff that is you know paying homage to dragon ball z and Mm -hmm. sailor moon and all this kind of stuff so that will also be something that people will notice that it's a little bit different from a pixar movie but like if you didn't see the pixar logo you it could be easy to confuse this movie with something that like Lord and Miller are doing. It reminded me a lot of Mitchell's versus the machines. Even like, I think Katie Mitchell would be friends with uh, May and like, yeah, that's what caught me off guard was the animation style of like, I'm like, ah, remember when we brought up that it seemed like Sony finally found their voice when it came to animation with the Lord and Miller stuff with the kind of mix of hand drawn and, and CG and things like that. And you can kind of, not saying that they were influenced by those like spider verse and Mitchell's versus the machines. Cause this would have been made probably at the same time as Mitchell's versus the machines. But well, Domi, um, she did say that like, she like, cause I watched the press conferences yeah, that anime yeah. specifically yeah. for, for like sailor moon, which makes sense because like there are things in there that like, if you watched anime 
I mean, at any time, but specifically in the late 90s, early 2000s, certain expressions, especially when it comes to like embarrassment or awkwardness, yes, were like is the very single much sweat of kind of, yeah. yeah. So it, it gets that perfectly. Yeah, totally. And, it's, and, it, and it melds well together. It like, does. It, it just feel didn't feel disjointed in any But way. you haven't seen that in a Pixar movie, right? And to your no. point, it was more in Spider-Verse and Mitchell's versus the Machines. So like, uh, I really think that's interesting that Pixar is able to, you know, you'd think that there's such a machine like you're talking about that it's just like we know how to make people cry or feel an emotion, or we have this down to a science of how we can make these really, really great animated films. And they all kind of look gorgeous, but similar, um, even though very unique depending on what the property is or what they're talking about. But like, um, this was the first time where I'm like, Oh damn, like you get some hand-drawn stuff in there. You get some of those anime influences. Like they're being a little bit more playful with the animation, which I think is really interesting. And, and I, I do think that it, that is a testament to Sony kind of pushing them a little bit because I feel like they were, you know, on their own level like no one could really touch them the only things that were other disney stuff that was from just disney animation proper so now you have someone coming in and doing something a style that feels completely unique and you're seeing some of those influences whether they come from the anime or they kind of go oh spider-verse was cool uh that beat us at the oscars so or mitchell's versus the machines this year so um yeah or last year and it represents the character yeah. so well because it's messy and awkward and tonally just at times is this weird sort of like it, it can be comedic, but it can also be dramatic. And I think it reflects who May is as a person. And and I think that that's really important that it's coming from somebody internally, you know, externalizing those feelings and, you know, talking about them and also going through them and, and you're experiencing the world from this character's point of view. And, and yeah, obviously, you know, something like inside out had some experimental moments in that movie, but it, this really does almost feel like Pixar, like bought this instead of like, you know, made it in house. Like it's just so unique and, 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 and richly defined by character more so than even plot, mm -hmm. um, which Pixar is, very good, as you mentioned, with kind of almost like that assembly line, kind of putting things together, kind of building algorithms that they know will kind of hit and when and, and work. And and they've they've done that for you know decades now. But this does feel like Pixar really went outside of their own comfort zone and did something truly special and and just hard to kind of say that like this like it's just its own thing and that's kind of what i love about it yeah and i i've sat on it and even become more higher even talking about it because i i think if i was going to criticize the movie at all i think right when it ended i was like that was really cute i loved a lot of the stuff that they tackled i love the toronto stuff did it to me i'm like was it top tier pixar and i think after talking about it with you and thinking about it over we saw it over a week and a half ago that I think it's in the conversation of that upper tier. Um, I don't know if I ever got hit on an emotional level um, to the point of some other Pixar movies that have really kind of connected with me emotionally. Um, maybe that's because I'm a 33 year old man and, and you know, this movie's not necessarily uh, about me or even, you know, I said there's some universal themes and I think that it, it's very important 
for young women and, and young girls watching this and things like that. Maybe that well, women of color it. as yeah, well, women right? of color being uh, about a Chinese Canadian. Like so, maybe that's why it didn't hit on that level. And it, I hope it does for a ton of people. Um, I think when it finished, I was like, you know what, four out of five thought it was really good. Um, but it didn't necessarily hit that like upper tier, amazing, uh, Pixar level. But then after thinking about it and talking about it with you, like, I do think that it is special. And I think, does that get a little bit of a bump? Cause we're from Toronto, I think a little bit, but like, um, you know, I think people from other cities that have either never been here or have no connection to the city, none of that stuff's going to really do anything for them right um i don't know i think that i think there is something to say about seeing a different a landscape that is different from what you're used to because mentioning at the beginning of the review you know you've seen la new york you know london totally a lot of these landmarks used in in animated or live action in general that are so familiar that it's nice to see something different and even though toronto is a major metropolitan and like it's it's like you know it's like any other city and obviously it has stood in for all those other places that i've mentioned in the past maybe with the exception of london but it's just nice to see something that truly is embracing what it means to be canadian totally and what it means and what it means also to be canadian in the sense of a melting pot yeah. and, and to be diverse and, yeah. and multicultural. Yeah. Like it's that, like that's why this movie I think is so, it's just such a unique experience. And like, again, like it's hard to kind of like, cla- like I almost feel it's like weird to classify it as a Pixar film. No, I know. Feels but, I mean, like it's, it's natural though, too, of that. right? Yeah. But I think that is natural. And like, it, because it is from that studio and even if it does feel completely different, but yeah, I agree with you that like, you know, New York has its vibe for its culture and people that it showcases. Right. And I hope this starts something with a Toronto as a, as a location that um, has its own vibe of being that melting pot and that multicultural kind of city. Cause I think this movie does a great job without like hamming that and shoving it in your face. Like it's just a part of it, right? Like it's just yeah. what it is. And like, and even when it does, it makes sense because like when May shows her TTC card and shows that like I'm an adult now because yeah. the TTC says that you know 13, 13 to yeah. 65, yeah. you know, like it, it makes sense that this would be in your face because she's kind of going through. But yeah, it doesn't really necessarily drop like every five minutes, like oh, like oh, here's like a couple toonies or loonies or like I'm going to Tim Hortons. It's there, yeah. And but it's, it's for the, the people. Yeah. And it's for the people who are from here, which we'll see the Timbits on the table. We'll see that kind of stuff. Right. Like, yeah. And we're going to love that kind of stuff, but um, it is, it is a great movie and it is unfortunate. It's not playing in theaters. Cause I think it would uh, have been great in, in cinemas. I get why they're doing it. I'm so glad it's getting a Toronto premiere at Tiff Bell Lightbox, like on international women's day um, I think is great. Um, I would I would have loved to go do that, but just with everything going on, um, I thought about being like, oh, I, I really would love to see this on the big screen. But um, yeah, man, it, it is a great movie. I'm going to give it a four and a half. I'm bumping it up. I originally went with a four after I saw it, but after talking about it and thinking about it, maybe it's the Toronto half star bump, but I think it is a great movie. I'm going to give it a four and a half. Yeah, I'm also going to give it a four and a half. I could see myself giving it a five by yeah. the end of the year. It's just like part of part of me is as well as like thinking like, okay, do I have to like look at it from a point of view of a bias? Because it, 
you know, totally. you mentioned it where it's like, you know, there are things that are pandering to me or red pandaing to me. Um, but it, it <laughs> hey, I, it's late. So, but I really did feel that it was in the details that it, it, it really paid attention to, again, just the geography and the landscape, but also still had the heart of telling a really wonderful story that didn't like, you know, soul was an amazing experience and one that was really moving, but I feel with Luca and, and some of their other stuff more recently, it's been kind of almost like the kind of Pixar you just expect, Yeah, you know, like the kind of like, Oh, we're just doing this to kind of like fill a quota and not to say that those movies don't have, worthwhile moments or could move people in ways that kind of, you know, speak to them, you know, even with onwards. Oh, totally. It just kind of felt like there was this wane where, you know, Pixar started as this company that was like, okay, we're telling original fresh stories and we won't really do sequels. And then Toy Story 2 comes up, but Toy Story 2 is a, is a great movie. And then it's still like, okay, you know, we're, we're doing stuff that like people can remember from their childhood that both adults and, you know, kids can, can enjoy, you know, Monsters, Inc., Wally, e Ratatouille, the exception of the car movies, which truly are for children. Um, and it just, it, at some point there, it felt like they just kind of like lost track a little bit. And I think it's just the, they became so popular. It's the same thing with Marvel and, and Star Wars with Disney after they bought them, right? You're, instead of doing one movie every couple years, you're now doing two movies a year. So that means you're hiring more people, which means your teams are more spread out. And like your ideas, I'm not saying your ideas are watered down or anything, but like, I think when you had everyone focused on, you know, one movie or maybe two teams doing alternate, you know, movies or things like that, or I don't know, I'm just not saying that's exactly how it worked. Cause who knows? I, I don't work at Pixar, but, right. um, but, but this doesn't feel like that because like, again, no. like you almost had this rotation initially where it was like, okay, we're going to have Andrew Stanton direct something. And if he's not directing yeah, something, Brad Bird, we're going to have Brad Bird and then Lassiter, Pete doctor yeah. and then John Lasseter. And those were like all the guys. So it's like one of, if one of them wasn't in development on a movie, it would yeah. be the other one. And they're yeah. all, you know, white guys and they rotated doing their thing yeah. yeah and and i mean with the exception of john lasseter you know like there seem to be like decent people and what sure, have you. but yeah. bringing in and this is only the second pixar movie the first solo one to be directed by a woman um which is kind of surprising mm-hmm. so and and with all the complications with what happened with brave as well so like it's almost like they should be bringing in more people or moving up people totally. that have been working there for a long time because that have unique visions and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw that with bow different and perspectives bow was and, yeah. such a beautiful short that it's like, I, I almost wish that that was like a feature as well, but it's almost like you're getting that as this, you know, mm-hmm. companion piece mm-hmm. to that. And so I, I hope one don't, she continues to oh, make yeah. original movies because she does feel like a singular voice, but also I hope that Pixar, you know, is looking for great stories to tell from people that maybe don't have their stories shown every day. I totally agree. And next up, I mean, on the other side of things, we have Lightyear coming, which looks to be their return to cinemas. 
which is a good thing. I just wish it was for this movie. Um, yeah. The one thing I learned yesterday in a, a little bit of research is that Lightyear, I think it will, Lightyear seems like it is going to cinemas because again, I think it's an established franchise. It'll make them a ton of money. Um, it's, it is something different for them, even if it looks derivative of, you know, action blockbusters that we've gotten over the last 10 years or so, um, or even longer, but uh, they're actually making some of the footage in one, four, three IMAX aspect ratio, which I didn't know. And it's the first animated movie to ever do that, like have scenes in IMAX for like an uh, IMAX aspect ratio. So I thought that was really, really interesting. So to see Pixar play with something like that, where it's not technically shot in IMAX because it's all, you know, made on a computer, but they're, they're upping the aspect ratio for IMAX screenings of Lightyear, And I can't wait to see what that looks like to fill up that whole IMAX screen. But yeah, we have Lightyear coming. And then um, after that, do we know what Pixar is doing? Yeah, Turning Red is coming, then Lightyear, and then three untitled films in uh, in 2023, 24, and two in 2024. So we don't know what those are yet. So um, at least from... My- You'll probably get an announcement around the time that Lightyear is coming out because they were also working on that show as well that was going to be on Disney Plus that was going to be... Yes, they have a bunch like, of shows coming on Disney Plus, I think, right? Yeah, but there was that one where it was like each episode was the same day but from a different point of yeah, view. Yeah, that was interesting too. Or wasn't it about like... Yeah, that that did sound really, really interesting. And one thing we didn't talk about is Ludwig uh, Gorenson's score too, which is an interesting guy to bring in. And I thought his score, he crushed it as well. Um, Thought it was he's everywhere right now. He really is. He's one of those guys like Giacchino. Uh, You would have thought Giacchino would have jumped in here, but he's doing light years. So (laughs) yeah. Um, And then on the TV front for Pixar, before we kick out of here, because I am curious of what you were um, talking about upcoming films, feature films and shorts. Where's their TV part? I guess they don't even have it on Wikipedia yet because of, um, it being so new anyway um turning red's great uh if you're in a country where you can see it in a cinema i would definitely say uh go do that because i think it would be wonderful i really hope we get the chance i hope like somewhere like a light box or somewhere else does like a a program soon where it's like a bunch of movies that you weren't able to see in cinemas i know they kind of did that for some of the pandemic days but um oh here it is so we have Doug Days, which was already on Disney Plus, Cars on the Road is coming this year with Mater and Lightning McQueen, and then the other show is called Win or Lose, which will follow. That, yeah, I think that was it. Middle school softball team the week leading up to the big championship game, where each episode will be from a different perspective, so sort of like the after party <laughs> we just talked about. Or Yellow Jackets, or, yeah, yeah, might be like Yellow Jackets. Um, Thank you all for listening or watching. We really, really do appreciate it. Uh, as I mentioned, we have some other reviews we would love for you guys to check out. You can check out our spoiler-free review of the Batman on this channel, Untitled Movie Reviews, where Eric and I, for about 40 minutes or more, to, or maybe an hour, talk about the Batman in, in, with no spoilers. So go check that out. Um, if you want, if you've seen the movie already and want kind of like an hour and a half of people talking about all the nitty gritty details in full spoiler form, we have a spoiler cast, which is over on our main channel. Uh, we also did an after party spoiler cast, which you can check out on that channel. 
And there is, if you want more Disney Plus content, if you're in Canada, Fresh is now streaming. Uh, don't watch that with your kids, um, but you can check that out and then uh, go uh, listen to the review or watch the review with Joey Noel. She uh, jumped in for Eric and we reviewed that over on Untitled Movie Reviews. Uh, One-stop shop, just head over to Letterboxd, Untitled underscore movies. Everything's over there for you guys. Uh, probably the easiest spot to get everything. Um, and as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly on untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marching. You can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Quit playing games with my heart. My heart, my heart.